You're listening to The Real Well Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. How do you get a good return in today's high interest rate environment? And does it still make sense to buy? I'm Kathy Fetke, and welcome to The Real Well Show. Our guest today is going to tell us how she's doing it, and she's been doing this for a very long time. For the past three decades, Christina Souter has experienced massive success in the real estate world. She's purchased over $40 million in real estate, acquired over 350 doors in the last 30 years, and in 2019, she co-authored the book, You Got This. She also founded the Fibby Pasadena Meetup with over 3,500 members as part of the Four Investor by Investor Network. And she's here with us today on The Real Well Show. Christina, welcome back. Thank you so much, Kathy. I'm just excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I so appreciate it. It's, I love that I've had you on my platforms at Phoebe Pasadena, as well as on the Real Estate Breakthrough Show. And it's really great to be invited back to your show. I appreciate the honor and the faith. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I know that we share a few things in common, one being a little bit of obsession on the economy and how to invest given, you know, some of the changes going on. So what are you doing currently in this environment, this high rate environment? Ah, you know, for me, it's uh, it's funny because there's a movie out, something like uh, what the 1% doesn't want you to know or why the 1% thinks you're dumb, right? That they, and then one of the ads is 1% doesn't care about inflation. And my daughter went, Mom, one of the one percent doesn't care about inflation. I went, yeah, we kind of don't care about inflation. So let's start there. And here's why I don't care about inflation: because I invest in assets that are commodities. I invest in real estate; those are my primary investments. I also invest in stocks. I do, right? And that is an investment asset as well. But when you invest in real estate, one of the things that I love about it is it's the buy-in price that I care more about than the interest rate I'm paying on my loan, right? So the higher the interest, the higher the inflation, let's be clear, the higher the inflation, in theory, the more my commodity goes up. That's a theory, right? Because in reality, rents might go down, which brings my commodity price down. But it's still a commodity, which means it's still appreciating, even if there's some downward pressure on rents. Now, that's being said. But what I care about in owning that commodity is my buy-in price. At my buy-in price, which I get the best buy-in price, by the way, at the bottom of a recession. That's my best buy-in price, right? Then I get the best, but my interest rate changes. So if I pay 8%, 9% when I'm buying in, in three years later, I can refinance that out. When the Fed has done doing their movements with the economy, that is changeable. My buy-in price is fixed. So I kind of... I almost look forward to it. So what does that mean? That means for me is we've all been watching. And my friend, Kathy Fetke, was the one who taught me, just saying, was the one who taught me that when the Fed increases interest rates, we almost always have a recession. And I have used that knowledge ever since I saw you present that at, I don't know if it was my meeting or some other meeting that I saw you present at, but I've used that awareness that the Fed is intentionally trying to create a recession. So why be mad? Why be upset? And why be frustrated? We know what it is. We're well familiar with it. You drive from LA to San Francisco and you always go past the, the cow yards on the way. And when you're going past the cow yards, do you roll your windows up or do you keep your windows down? Right? <laughs> you roll your windows up and you turn on the V-Circ on the air and you go, yep, I'm going to drive right past the cows. Right? <laughs> Unless of course, you like the smell, then keep your windows down. Help yourself. 
but I don't have to be angry about it. I can be prepared for it, right? Mm -hmm. Fed starts increasing rates, start putting it on your horizon line, turn on the clock is what I call it. You watch them increase rates. At the point they stop increasing rates, we're going to have another six months of them holding rates. They've been doing that since the 80s. It was in the 80s when they did the bouncing up and down. Ever since then, they have held rates for about six months after they hit their peak. And the real estate, the national real estate seems to hit its bottom about 12 to 18 months after they stop increasing rates. I think we're about at that point where the Fed is stopping to increase their rates. So I'm starting my clock. I have the next six months to 18 months, right? Because I'm 12 to 18 months from the bottom. I have six months to 18 months to be my buy time. That gives me a year to start actively looking to buy. I'm already in Indianapolis, which is where I purchased, looking to set my baseline. This is what it looks like right now. What is it going to look like in six months? That's the beginning of my optimal buy time, potentially. Then I'm going to go across for potentially another 12 months. Now, I've had people ask me this question. Are you really waiting six months? No. I'm, what I'm actually doing is I'm looking to find properties that hit my buy box. I've created a buy box based on the cash flow I'm looking for. I want to buy into a property that will rent as a long-term rental in a way that is positive to me, right? We can use the 1% rule if you want. That's sufficient. If I, I buy it for $100,000, I want to rent for $1,000. That's my $1,000 a month. That's my 1% rule. But then I'm going to Airbnb it. So I'm going to put extra into it and I'm going to get extra rent. At Airbnb, I get about a 1.5. So I get about a 50% premium based on my long-term rent. Now I've got a property that works. Not only does it work in Airbnb because I'm actually getting a premium on my rents, but if I need to go long-term rental, it works as a long-term rental as well. So that's my buy-in box. Now I can't do that inside of Southern California. <laughs> that's why I don't buy in Southern California, right? <laughs> Southern California is a completely different game if you're looking at buying into residential and doing rentals in, in Southern California. That's a different conversation. Oh, that, that's a that's a mouthful there. Okay, so um, Airbnb. <laughs> so how do you project returns in Airbnb? Because it seems like, uh, it seems unpredictable and like it's changing, but are you not experiencing that? I've been owning Airbnb since pre before COVID. So what I've experienced is that my tenants have changed. So during COVID, I got a lot of nurses, a lot of medical. So I started targeting medical intentionally. So to be transparent, I'm not doing short-term rentals. I'm not doing the weekend. I'm not doing vacations. I'm specifically targeting 20 days or more in my rental period. And that's mm -hmm. listed on my actual Airbnb description. Is it a minimum of 20 days? Okay. So what I'm getting is people traveling for work people who are traveling nurses, people who are traveling for medical reasons, because in Indianapolis, they have two very large medical centers there. So I'm seeing a shift and then I'm getting less nurses and more people who are traveling for work and internships. And I'm able to fill in with shorter term rentals. Every once in a while, people are like, oh, please, please, can I stay for, you know, okay, fine. But I haven't seen, my vacancy factor used to be 10%, which is unheard of, right, in Airbnbs. My calculation for vacancy is a 40% vacancy. I'm assuming it's rented 60% of the time and then I'm empty 40% of the time. So if I'm hitting higher than that, I'm comfortable with my numbers, right? I was hitting 90%. I'm now hitting about 82%. So now I'm having to have more vacancy and slightly shorter days of people staying. 
I'm not getting the three month traveling nurses as much as I used to. I like those, but um, so that is a shift I am seeing. And that is part of why I have the backstop, which is a long-term renter, is a winning scenario for me, just not as fun. I don't get as much money. I know, I just don't, right? Um, but Indianapolis again, so why Indianapolis and changing reg changing requirements? New York just completely changed the requirements for Airbnb, right? So that's yeah. all the conversation right now in the Airbnb world. But Indianapolis is a slightly different mindset as a state, and they're less likely to be negative towards landlords or towards controlling businesses. Again, I'm not trying to have a political conversation. I'm really just trying to have a conversation that is based on what I've observed. Mm -hmm. Having a political conversation can be frustrating and upsetting, and I don't want to play that game. <laughs> I just want to be able to run my real estate. I yeah. want to be able to observe what's happening, and I want to be able to use that sense of observation and not judgment to guide my real estate investing practices. Not only is it more peaceful, less adrenaline, less stress, and therefore less health problems, but it also allows me to make clearer decisions in my investing so that I'm making decisions based on numbers and not based on, oh my God, so many, so many people are excited about this market. Let's do this market. This is super cool. Let's do this market. Yeah. Or, oh, it's so horrible. This is the bottom of the market. The interest rates are so high. I'm not going to invest. <laughs> it's like rather than staying out of that scenario, let's stay in this scenario of observation and being able to let my numbers, my buy box be the thing that gives me permission and observation of charts and movements. Yeah, I love it. Okay, so how do you manage uh, rent uh, short-term rentals from afar? You're in California, and they're they're in Indianapolis. You have, do you have property they management are. for that. Totally, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So um, I learned years and years and years ago when I owned a an apartment building in Tennessee and a condo in Brea, and I visited them in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I visited them both the same amount. Brea is a 60-minute drive from where I was living at the time. Knoxville, Tennessee is obviously a much longer flight. What I discovered was I don't, I don't care to and I don't need to be on top of my properties personally. If I want to flip a property, that's a different conversation. I've tried flipping in Oregon from a distance. Not as smooth. I flipped locally. I still don't love flipping. So don't, don't ask me to teach you about flipping. I'll tell you all kinds of bad things about flipping, not good things. Forget yeah, it. me too. Not a, not a flipping lady, right? No, exactly. Um, but I have a really great lady on the ground and I, I love sharing about her. So I, I'm with Host of Indy. Rachel Prince is the lady who runs it. But the woman who's been assigned to my units is Leslie. I love Leslie. Did I tell you I love Leslie? Let me tell you how much I love Leslie, who's been assigned to my units. She is a mom. She's got, I think, two kids. And she works really hard on sort of like being positive with people. Oh, you need new pans. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, the unit isn't clear, clean or whatever. Let me fix that. Oh, you need new shades. She's even brought new shades to people in my Airbnb units. But then there's a point where she'll start to go, that's a little much. And she will start to draw a line as well. So I think part of what I love about her is that she's able to do both. <laughs> she's able to have a high level of customer service and hold her boundaries when necessary. And yeah. I feel like that really works. I can count on her. She'll answer my texts 
you know, deep into the night. I'm like, it's nine o'clock there. Stop answering my text. Answer me in the morning. That's so funny. Um, what do you typically pay a, a short-term rental manager like that? So right now I'm paying 15%, but t- but that's actually the low end of the spectrum. It can go as high as 30. 20, I would say, is more common these days. I've I've even seen 50% if you're, you know, in a, like a condo unit or something where it's managed. So yeah, you want to make sure you know the difference there. And then what about taxes? Are the, the medium term or short term rentals taxed differently than long term? Um, I have, I suspect in many states that they are, that we have, but if that is being paid out of the Airbnb side, that's, that's, that's before fees I receive. Mm-hmm. So I don't, and I file my taxes, what I see, I get Airbnb pulls the money they pull their fees. They pull some of the taxes as well. They collect them themselves as well as the cleaning fee. I get the, my property management company gets the net. They pull their fees and then I get it net of their fees. So in the end result, I'm paying 15% to my property management and I'm paying the Airbnb fee, which can be anywhere from three to 6%. So I'm paying that, but I'm still making in the end more than I would make as a long-term rental in the net that I receive. Okay. Wonderful. When I file my taxes, it's just it's just rental income. It's just filed as rental income. My taxes. Yeah, very very cool. All right. And do you use Furnish Finder as well or just Airbnb? Um, the lady that I have, Rachel, was uh, she used just Airbnb Airbnb originally and then she went across five platforms and I didn't notice a big difference. So we're back to just the Airbnb platform at this point. Amazing. Okay. I know. You would wow. think you would think five platforms would make a big difference, but I didn't notice a big difference. So maybe if we start having, if we if our vacancy factor goes too low, then we'll be able to increase platforms, which increase costs, because of course you pay for access to each platform. But it's not it's not as it's not necessary at this point with what I'm doing. And I just bought another door, you know, literally a month and a half ago. And so we're about to bring that online in on Airbnb in about two weeks. So how much does it typically cost you to furnish? About 25,000. Okay. Wow. 20 to 25,000. And so that's just budgeted in and part of the deal. Just a sunk <laughs> cost. Yeah, I mean, yep. I'm already buying the unit, right? So I'm already buying the unit somewhere between 250 and 300,000, maybe 320, and then there's usually I usually price in any repairs I'm going to do, just like a flip. Just like a flip, you buy it at the market rate, but then you take out all the construction costs that you think you're going to need to put into it. That's the offer I actually make after I add the air conditioning units, redo some cement, repaint some interiors. Then I've got my $25,000 design fee. So I roll that all in. So I'm in, I am above market by the time I put in the 25,000 design fee, but I'm at market at when I do all my repairs. Wow. Buying it at market at its ARV. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. So at least that's the plan. That's the plan. But I also have a contractor on the ground who I know, like, and trust. Um, he has been loyal to me in the years that I have used him. Um, and he can, uh, he can project, he project manages much of what needs to be done. So it's the team on the ground. Oh, it's everything. Everything. <laughs> Absolutely. Ground, everything. <laughs> that's who you're relying on that's is your team. Cause you're not there. You're not there. So people ask me why Indianapolis? And then I go, well, I looked at four different cities and the city that had the most successful team on the ground is the one that I'm still investing in. Yeah. 
period, because any one of the four cities would have given me a different set of dynamics. But in the end of the of the month, I would have gotten my cash flow. So four cities all would have gotten me cash flow. I would have been happy with, but I got the team on the ground that was working. That's why I'm investing. So I'm investing in my team as much as I am in the city itself. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's markets. People ask us, why aren't you in this market? We just don't have a team there. It's not a bad market. Um, Why are you in this area? Because the team, they're amazing. (laughs) Exactly. Because the team, they're amazing. And it's true for syndications as it is for distant flips, as it is Mm -hmm. for long-term rentals being owned from a distance or Airbnbs. I suspect it's also probably true in other asset classes as well. I've just never owned office. I've never owned retail. So I suspect it's just as true. And retail in particular is really about who your tenants are, creating an environment with your tenants, both tenant to tenant, but also tenant to customer. Mm -hmm. So somebody once told me years and years ago, he's like, well, if you want to do retail, be aware you're in business with all of your businesses. I'm like, oh, you're in business with all your tenants. So you need to help set them up for success. Otherwise, you don't have success. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things you said earlier was just kind of being, knowing your boundaries. And yes, um, that's just part of being a business owner in general, part of being a human actually. But, um, (laughs) but, you know, I've noticed, you know, sometimes I'll get a couple of, I I love Airbnb, by the way, we have three. And most of the time the people are great. They love, you know, the stay, they give great reviews. And then every now and then there's just somebody who doesn't. And, um, and like just this last weekend where one of our Airbnbs is you, there's no cell signal. So you have to do Wi-Fi calling and he couldn't figure out the Wi-Fi calling and he was just mad. And he's like, I just want to get out. And this was Friday afternoon, right? right. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. On a weekend, I'm going to lose this money down the, you know, where we make the most money. And, uh, and so I just said, fine, you know, fine. Call, call Airbnb, get it canceled. Um, within an hour it was rebooked. (laughs) So it's just, again, part of doing business is just making sure the customer's happy, but not, like not bending over to where you're, you know, you're losing money. But in this case, it was like, okay, I get it. You, you need to make phone calls. You can't figure it out. If I could just come show you, that would be great. But he was just too mad at that point. Like, you know, it's okay, go. And then it was just such great confirmation to, to be booked again with somebody who loves the property and booked for more days. Right. Right. (laughs) So how do you, um, how do you, I know you help, you coach people also on the psychological part of investing. So what are some of the key principles that you teach that help keep people in business, creating those boundaries, making sure it works for you, but also for them, all, all the things. So I, I know you topic. love this topic. Love Let's this go there. Topic. You know, I, love this topic. <laughs> so I try really hard. Like I am a great believer of education and boundaries, personal growth work. And I try to imbue everything I do with this type of message. Even this interview today, my club that I run twice a month, my podcast, my reels are full of this information. My consulting work is where I really get to dig in with people one-on-one and say, okay, so where are your boundaries, right? And then in my family office that I'm creating, it's going to be families of like-minded people who are interested in having their portfolios help them fulfill their life's purpose. Right. So that's the conversation I want to carry in everything I do and everything I touch. Just to make that in profoundly clear, like, <laughs> this is how important that is to me. I often work with people who are, who they 
quote unquote, feel uncertain. Um, you know, I didn't have a financial education or my dad told me I was a woman and I wasn't going to be good at finances or gee, you know, um, I've worked really hard and I come from a poor background and now I have money and I don't know what to do with it. I don't trust myself. You see the concept of money, just period money is a reflection of how you money and how you treat it is a reflection of who you are. Period. Money is just money. It's just a dollar bill. It cares nothing about you. It cares nothing about what you're going to choose. It cares nothing about staying with you or leaving you. It's just an item, period. Now, if you leave your items out in the cold, they might get picked up. If you leave your items home and you never take them out, then you end up with a lot of stuff that never gets used and never gets appreciated. You get no life out of it. Mm. So having boundaries with money is the same as having boundaries with self. There are no differences. There is no space between the two. Having intimacy with your money and having confidence with your money is just like having intimacy with yourself, your own needs, your own boundaries, your own issues, your own childhood. It's the same boundaries that you have with your money. Your willingness to be abundant in your own thinking is the same willingness that dollar can give you an abundance. So therefore, we can talk about money all day long and financial skills, sure. That's a process. But what we want to talk about is how you experience life and the money you use to create that life. Mm. That is very heavy. So let, I mean, that goes all the way back, like you said, to childhood. So how do you improve your relationship with money and uh, improve a relationship with yourself so that you can have a better relationship with money? Okay, that's a very long topic by itself. Line, <laughs> you can't do it in two minutes. <laughs> two minutes. But to bottom line, that's why that's why I work a minimum of three months with my clients. A minimum of three months, right? The thing is, and some clients know this, and a lot of clients don't, is I use the the desire, the vision they have in their head for the money that they're talking about to have conversations about how are they actually creating that in their lives for themselves, which immediately within a week will start to show, oh, I didn't hold my accountability. Oh, I didn't do this. And oh, I'm afraid to move into this thing. I, I did the research, but now I don't know. I'm like, okay, let's talk about that. Let's talk about you don't know. Let's talk about I'm afraid. Let's talk about how you don't believe that it's possible. Any one of those topics, any one of the triggers that the money has created for them is absolutely food for fodder and an opening to Okay, so let's talk about how you have faith in yourself, whether it's a mission and vision statement, whether it's I am statements in the morning, whether it's personal growth work, whether it's gestalt work. Remember, I have a master's in spiritual psychology, so I'm literally going, okay, we're going to do some gestalt work during the week. So here's what your homework looks like. You're going to be freeform writing for 20 minutes. And you're going to be doing gestalt work with that fearful voice in your head because People, you can go both directions. You can use I am statements and try to force a persona on yourself, which is fine and helpful. And you can dig into the stuff. You can dig into stuff. You can the stuff <laughs> in the background and help clear it out. And if you do both, if you support yourself with mission, vision, goals, and I am statements, and getting clear, meditating in the morning, grounding yourself in your purpose and sense of being. If you do that in the morning to for yourself ongoingly and you clear the stuff that's in the background, this gets so much easier. 
your life, your capacity to build, your foundation underneath you stops moving. And what you build stays. And then who you build yourself to be on top of that stays. Because now you're not destroying it from the back end. So good. Yeah. Oh, I tell you what, it's and it's a constant process because right. That's the the onion, right? Peeling the onion. You get to the the next level and there's another peel that you didn't know was there. It's constant. And so the really the work is the it's exactly what you said. The reference is observation. Observation. We've got to be able to observe ourselves, our reactions, the thoughts running us. Are they ours? Are they someone else? Did someone else put that in our head? Or is it real? Is it coming from our heart? Um, I, I know when I first started investing and just first started real wealth, I did not have an expansive mindset. It was very much a scarcity mindset. And I had to do a lot of work on that. I still do. It's it's constant. Um, it's constant. And, and, but, I, yeah. and I have to respect you, Kathy, for it. Right. That's one of the things, one of the reasons why I respect you deeply as a woman and a contributor in this field. It's because you're not confused about what it takes to be grounded in one's being in order to create a sense of purpose in your life so you can have it stay and keep creating and helping others from that space. I mean, that to me is what there is to do just in your particular lane, in everybody's particular lane. That's what there is to do. That's the place we all hope to get to just in our box. So I love that about you. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. And back at you. I know that you've been leading many people to, um, you know, to different opportunities and education, but most importantly, uh, that, that self-awareness and the vision and the belief that we can have that vision Mm-hmm. And that now let's go do it. Yes, hundred no, percent. Right, the vision in your head, and let's create it. Let's let's go. As soon as you go for it, the first thing you're stumble into is going to be yourself. And let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. And then the next step that. will be stumbling into yourself. Stumbling right into yourself. That's perfect. Let's do some more. <laughs> oh yes, so good. Rich and I are writing a book for Bigger Pockets on um, scaling a business, and our first very long chapter is. It's it, like, it's all about you. Your, your business is a reflection of you. Your business is a personal growth workshop. <laughs> it's every day. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. Well all right. Chris, well said. So great to have you back, Christina. And I hope to see you somewhere soon. Yes. I'm sure we will run into each other soon. Thank you again, Kathy, so much for inviting me. Just love it. Thank you. Aww, likewise. And thank you for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show. If you'd like to find out more about how to get great properties in Indianapolis and other markets, you can go to realwealthshow.com. We have investment counselors that can answer your questions and also refer you to the teams that we've been working with for over a decade at Real Wealth that come recommended by our over 70,000 members. Again, that's realwealthshow.com. Views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to realwealthshow.com.